a special day for me um, and a lot of the people here at Real Life Ministries. As Joe talked about, it's our 14th uh, anniversary as a church. And uh, I went and did the old middle school math. It was 728 Sundays that we launched our church at Edwards Theater over off of Cole Road. And uh, this, is, this is the first Sunday that we were there at Edwards Theater. We had our signage up there in the lobby and uh, we had our children's check-in over where the popcorn is and we had our first worship service there and uh, we met in the Coliseum Christians meeting in the Coliseum if you know your history it's kind of a hard sell for some Christians to come but uh, we launched our church and there was a small group of people that wanted to see God do a work. And uh, if you don't know our story, we actually were part of a church that was dead. They had no life in it. Um, average age of the church was probably in the 60s, maybe approaching 70s, and that group of people chose to close their doors and die and hand over the assets to two guys, Bill Haydorn and myself, and a small group of people to launch a new church. And since that day, um, we've seen God bring life into his church. We've seen him revitalize a group of people. And it's been amazing to be on this journey of watching our church over 14 years grow and change, be in seasons of tremendous harvest, and also be in seasons where there wasn't a lot of harvest, where it was hard. But at the end of the day, what has marked us as a church is that we would continue to be a people that walk faithfully no matter what the outcome actually ended up being. And it was that group of people that said, I want to be obedient to the call of Jesus in my life. And that's still where we're at today, is walking faithfully and obedient so that we could see the whole world come to know Jesus, so that we could reach the world for Jesus you know the phrase, reach the world for Jesus, one person at a time. And so today's a special day for me to think back 14 years ago. Before there was Facebook, before there was social media, I don't think we had digital cameras on the phone, as you could tell the quality of that picture. A lot's changed, but there's not a lot that hasn't changed. We're still doing what God's called us to do 14 years ago. Today we wrap up Experiencing God. Next week we start a new sermon series. Uh that is going to be near and dear to us as a church as we go over our values of a church, our core values of what we stand on. And uh, if this is your, new, your first time here, we want to invite you back again next Sunday as we start a new sermon series um, uh, called SCMD. You might be saying, what does that mean? Well, you're going to find out. Come back next week. Um, but today we're wrapping up Experiencing God, and, and we're going through these realities over the last nine weeks, um, what does it mean to experience God? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? And what is he actually inviting us into? And so I'm just going to recap with you. If you're new, you can get caught up with us. Reality number one, that God is always at work around you. That is a reality. It's what scripture says. And sometimes it doesn't feel like God's at work around us, but he is. He's moving his mission forward um, in the midst of, as we pursue him, in the midst of the things that we experience in life. And out of that reality, that number two comes, that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. He's just not a distant God. He actually wants to have a relationship with you. Reality number three, God invites you to become involved in his work. God's always been looking for partners from the very beginning. 
God sets out his agenda to, to, to bring the world back into relationship with him, and he does it through his people. He does it through his sons and his daughters. And he, as he invites us into his work, he speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayers, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And when God invites you, when he speaks, it always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. And last week we talked about this reality that you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. Today we wrap up the sermon series with reality number seven, uh, that you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. And just like I said, 14 years ago, there was a small group of people that walked obediently and experienced God in a mighty, mighty way. And today we're still doing the same exact thing. But with that walk of obedience, when we choose to surrender our life to Jesus, when we choose to follow in his ways, there are implications of that obedience. What are those implications? We're going to look at five today. And the, and the first one comes from John chapter 14. Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's preparing them for when he's about ready to go to the cross, die, and be resurrected. And then eventually he's going to ascend into heaven and sit on his throne. And he's preparing his disciples for this because it's going to be a little bit tragic for them. It's going to be traumatic for them. And so John chapter 14, he says this to them. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, the next question that has to be asked is, how does that happen? If Jesus is in the Father, and, and they're walking obediently with, with Jesus and with him, well, how does that work that you're one with Jesus and you're one with the Father all, in, all together? And Jesus says how it happens. He says this, whoever has my, everybody say that next word, whoever has my commands, and what's the next word? Keeps them is the one who loves me. If you love Jesus, he says, you will keep my commands, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. What Jesus is saying is this, is that when you are obedient, you are connected to God. You are connected to Jesus, who is connected to the Father. The Father is connected to Jesus, who we are supposed to be connected with Jesus, and when we walk obediently, we are connected to God, but when you are disobedient, you disconnect yourself from God. Scripture says that. If you love me, you will follow my commands. You will walk obediently with me. He goes on to say, then Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. I love how the writer puts that. Then Judas, but not that guy, right? We never want to be that guy said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will, what's he say? Will obey. Obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So, if you are obedient, You'll be connected to God. If you're disobedient, you disconnect yourself from the Lord. We learn who God is and what he's like through our obedience. We learn who God is and what he is like through 
our obedience. First John talks about this. John says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Your translation might be a little bit different. It might say, whoever claims to live in him must. Does anybody have a different translation? Must. Anybody else? It says walk. Everybody say walk. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, which is very Jewish of John to write that. Because for us in our society, when we ask how someone's doing, we walk up to them and we ask them the question, how are you doing? Right? Simple. That's what we do. How are we doing? Even this morning as you came in and you were in the lobby, you probably came up and someone might have said, if they know you fairly well, they go, how are you doing? And we always respond, good, fine. Even when we're not, right? But for John and for the Jewish community, they didn't ask how you're doing. They asked this question, how is your walk? How is your walk? Because they understood that when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to following God, that it was a walking relationship with God. That if we walked obediently, then we were one with the Father. And if we weren't walking obediently, then we weren't connected to the Father. And so they didn't ask how you're doing. They'd ask, how is your walk? How are you walking? And we know this. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a walk, a light on my path. It's all about the walk. And so here at Real Life Ministries, we ask you the question, how you're doing? And as you hang out long enough, and as you build a relationship with people, we'll ask you how you're doing, and you'll say, good. And then eventually, one of a couple of things happens. You'll just go on your way. Or people will ask you this question, how are you really doing? How many of you guys have experienced that at Real Life Ministries in the lobby? Okay. How are you really doing? What we're really asking you is, how's your walk? How are you walking? How's that going? Number two, obedience means uninterrupted fellowship with God. Obedience means uninterrupted fellowship with God. It's oneness with God. And we, we know that when we walk obediently, it's oneness with God. When there's disconnection from God, there's not only disconnection from God, but there's also usually a lot of other things that end up unraveling as well. In the very beginning, Genesis, God says, I want you to be one with me. I want you to be in a relationship with me. This is how, what it means to be in a relationship with me. You can eat of any tree, but you can't eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, Adam and Eve choose not to obey. And God enters into the scene to figure out how they're doing and what's going on, even though he knows what's going on. And he asks them, where are you, Adam and Eve? And what are they doing? They are, and they're hiding because they are naked. And God says, you're hiding. Who told you that you were naked? And what did you do? And Adam does the brilliant, wise thing. He says, he says, this woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. So I don't know about you, but that's called disconnecting your marriage. If you've never experienced that before, 
And when you walk obediently with the Father, you're going to be one with the Father. But if you walk disobediently with the Father, not only does it lead to disconnection from the Father, it leads to disconnect with other human beings. That's what happens with sin in our lives. When we walk with the Father, we're one with Him, and it leads to oftentimes being one with relationship with others. But the moment that we begin to walk independently, relationship with God unravels, relationship with others begins to unravel. This is true even for Jonah. Jonah, if you remember the story of Jonah, God tells him that I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach the gospel. And as you go to Nineveh and preach the gospel, I want you to walk obediently. Well, sure enough, Jonah doesn't want to walk obediently. He heads to Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. Do you know what that means? It means God, um, excuse me, it means paradise. Everybody say paradise. I want you to think about that for a second. God asked Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, and he decides to go to paradise, which is actually the opposite direction of where God had sent him which I think is an amazing picture of the reality. Oftentimes for us, we want paradise. Oftentimes we think that that's where God's actually at work. But oftentimes it's, that's not where God is at work. He's at work in a different place. He's at work in a place that's maybe dark or troubling. A place that needs light. It's the reason why we at Real Life Ministries are always asking ourselves this question. Where is the gospel not going? And that's where we should probably go. Where are churches not going? And that's why we should probably go there. It's why we went to Oktoberfest, you guys, and handed out water. Because at the reality, at the end of the day, we go, I don't think any churches are going to be there. We probably should go there. Are you with me? We should be asking ourselves that question all the time. Where is there not an outpost of the gospel? Where is there not light? Where is the message of Jesus not going? And we should look at it and go, as Christians and disciples of Jesus, that's where we should go. And so last week when people came up to me and said, hey, love that we're launching home groups. Love that people are getting connected. We've got a home. We're not ready to lead. But we want to open up our home." For me, I get really excited about that. Because what that's saying is, we want to open up our home for the gospel. And I get really excited when they mention cities that we don't have a home group in. Because all of our home groups are like outposts. Places where people come and gather and join in relationship and join in reading the scripture and join in living life together to be discipled, to grow up, to make disciples who make disciples. And it's been like that from the very beginning for us at Life Ministries. Is what does it look like not to just be a church where we come and we gather, but instead we're a church where we go. Where we go to new places. Where the gospel can be talked about, wrestled with, in relationship. And so, eventually, our dream, our hope, our desire is that there would be a home group in every single city across this whole Treasure Valley. I want you to think about that. At least one home group in every single city across this Treasure Valley. We've got people that come and visit us from New Plymouth often. New Plymouth. Is God doing a work there? Absolutely. What would it look like for us to start a home group in New Plymouth? What about Idaho City? Yeah. 
Every single city, a home group. Where disciples are growing as disciples who make disciples. John, Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah eventually obeys God and goes to Nineveh. Uh, he began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. And when God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. goes on to say that God saves all of Nineveh and the cattle, which is a weird statement. Your translation might say save the animals, but more little translation is the cattle. I don't really know why God chose to save the cattle other than this. I believe that God loves prime rib. That's what I think. <laughs> I'm a prime rib guy. You might like the ribeye. That's fine. That's acceptable as well. But God saves the people because of Jonah's obedience to preaching the gospel in Nineveh, the good news that God is good, and he asked them to repent. The tragedy of Jonah is that he doesn't even rejoice with God. He doesn't even celebrate with God all of the things that God did. He had failed to understand that God works through us. And because of that, we're blessed. That God works through us. And because of that, we're blessed. I think it's important for us as a church to continually be reminded that as we walk obediently with him, we receive way more blessing than the ones that we're trying to bless. We receive way more blessing than the ones that we're trying to bless. And today we're going to just spend some time looking at what God has done over the last year um, and just celebrating and being reminded of all the things that God has done over the last 12 months as a church. And so let's take a look at this video and just celebrate and be reminded we are blessed with what we get to do. Let's take a look. Does Jesus love that guy? Yup. And that guy? Yup. How about that guy? Yup. And that guy? Yup. Well, how much do you love him? This much? Man, he loves him all the way to the top. All the way. They can try to hold you back, standing in your way. They can try to make you crack, try to make you bend till you break. You gotta be. Above the pain, facing every fear you know, it's flowing. 
Catch the lyrics. We're made to be, what is it kept saying? Rulers. With Jesus, His glory, His kingdom, partnership with Him, to go and bring the gospel, the good news, all over God's creation, not just in eternity, but He said, His kingdom come, His will be done on as it is in right now right now to go against the rulers of darkness Satan to combat the things that he's doing to say God we want to we be about your mission your things and we do this not because we want to earn anything because his love is given to us freely but because of his great love for us we can't help but then love and pour into our community I don't know about you guys, but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said this about the 72 that he sent out 
They returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. How many of you guys want to experience that in this community? To see Satan fall? Only a couple of you? Every single hand should be up if you're a follower of Jesus. Do you want to see Satan fall? Do you want to see God's kingdom move forward against the gates of hell? Jesus tells us how that's going to take place. How does it take place? It happens with 72 that were sent out and then brought back celebrating all the things that God did. It was his people, his disciples that were deployed, his disciples that were mobilized, his disciples that were sent out doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. And it took place outside the four walls of the church. It took place out in the city, out in the communities. People saying, I'm going to take Jesus' mission to every single part of my life, my home, my work, my neighborhood. I'm going to be sent, living a life sent with Jesus. Making disciples who make disciples. He says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, we believe that Jesus is using metaphoric language here. As you'll notice in the video, we don't have any snakes in our services. Any scorpions in our services? So we're not one of those churches, so don't worry. Right? This is the power that Jesus gives us and he sends us out into Meridian, into Boise, into Cuna, into Nampa and Caldwell, to Eagle. That we be a people that walk obediently to what Jesus is calling us to. And when we do that, Satan falls. Satan falls. Number four, God reveals himself by what he does. God reveals himself by what he does. I love how God invites Moses. We've been talking a lot about Moses this whole sermon series, his interactions with the Father. I want you to notice that this amazing part where God is challenging Moses to go, and we've talked about the crisis of belief that Moses talked about, that when God called Moses, Moses was like, yeah, you shouldn't send me. Why would you send me? I'm not even a good speaker. You should send Aaron. He's a way better speaker. And God confronts the crisis of belief in his life and says, no, I'm sending you. But the last part of it is he says this in verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's a really weird sentence. It's actually even translated, I am who I've been in the past. I am who I am now. I am who I will be in the future. I was like, What? His response had to have been what? And the question we got to ask ourselves is why? Why would Moses even ask this question? What is your name? What we don't really realize is that in a name is often found the character of a person. Have you noticed all throughout Scripture that when God begins to use somebody, he changes their name from one name to a new name? Have you noticed that in Scripture? Because in the Jewish community, your name was tied to your character. And so what Moses is asking God is, what is your name? By what character of who you are should I trust of what you're doing and what you're asking me to do? Because the Israelites are going to ask that question. 
And God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't answer his question. Why? Because what God is asking of Moses is he's asking them to take a step of faith. And then if you're willing to take a step of faith, on the other end of it, you're going to learn God's character. You're going to learn what God is inviting you into and who he is. He's saying, you've got to trust me. We talked about a couple weeks ago. You've got to be willing to take the step of faith before God parts the Red Sea. You've got to be willing to take a step of faith before he stops the floodwaters of the Jordan. You've got to be willing to walk obediently. And on the other side of it is God's character that you're going to learn about who he is and what he's inviting you into and the goodness and greatness of God that we just sang about this morning. What God does is he reveals himself by what he does, his character and who he is. But you've got to see it to the other side. You've got to walk in faith to the other side. Lastly, God will never give you an assignment that he won't enable you to complete. God will never give you an assignment he won't enable you to complete. His spirit will always give you the power to complete whatever is on the other side. Even in the midst of the storm, you may say, I can't do this. You're right. You can't, apart from Jesus. But with his spirit in you, with his spirit in you, you can complete the task that God has put in front of you if you're willing to take a step of obedience. As we wrap up today, a couple things I just want to review. What if we walked in obedience to Jesus what if we surrendered all that we had? What if we were willing to begin to dream about what God wanted to do over the next 14 years? We've looked back and said, man, God's been faithful. What does the next 14 years look like? And what part is he inviting you in to start a new thing in your heart, in this community, so that many would come to know him? What would it look like for you to say, I want to be used by Jesus? I want to walk obediently. And I want to learn more about his character. I want to walk in step with him. I want to have fellowship with him. I want to, I want to understand what God's like. I want to experience him, his word, his ways. And when we're willing to walk in that way, when God works through us or around us, we not only get to be a part of the blessing for others, but we also get to be blessed. How blessed we've been as a church. How blessed we've been. But our job is not to hold on to that blessing for ourselves. It's to say, who needs to experience the love of Jesus like I've experienced the love of Jesus? Who do I get to love? Who do I get to lead? Who do I get to serve? In the name of Jesus. We will not be able to do what God asks by our own power. He will never lead us where his power won't sustain us. And the reality is, is talking to someone even in the lobby last week in the regards to why do we do what we do? Why do we do? It's because of the love of God that's poured out over us. It's his love, his salvation, his grace, his mercy. And every day we have to be reminded of that. Every day we have to be reminded of what God has done. Because my heart can so quickly get focused in the wrong direction. That's why we gather here on Sunday morning. It's why we're in real relationship during the week. 
so that the mission of Jesus would always be at the forefront. So we'd never lose hearts. And when we do, there'd be other people that love us enough to say, brother, sister, let's stay focused on what God's calling us to in the midst of the battle. It's Jesus and his love poured out for us that inspires us, motivates us, continues to change us and grow us so that others would experience that same love. And so today, as we get ready to go and take communion like we do every single week here at Real Life Ministries, maybe you came and you weren't prepared to take communion, you didn't grab communion as you came in and you would like to take communion now, if you just raise your hand, there will be some amazing people that are going to come and bring communion to you. Keep your hand raised. There they come. I'll bring the elements to you. So we're going to ask you to pray and get ready to take communion. And we're going to ask you to pray this very first prayer that we started praying 14 years ago at communion. Here's the prayer that we asked everybody to pray. Who is someone in your life who does not know Jesus? Will you pray for them? Would you just pray for them? Who is someone that you know that is hurting and needs to be healed by Jesus? Would you pray for them? And we ask this prayer because our mission. We exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. As we get ready to take communion this morning, would you just pray? Pray for that one. That one person that God's putting on your heart right now. Spend time praying for them as we get ready to have a meal together.